making your way up into the front lobby upstairs and just grab any of those things as much as you'd like, as much as you can use for you and your classroom. And we also like to start the school year by recognizing our teachers here in the congregation. So if you're a teacher, whether it's homeschool, private school, public school, if you would please stand uh, around the congregation. Can we honor them for what they do? Remain standing, remain standing. That is a tough job, especially in this day and age where there is spiritual warfare going on in our schools. The enemy is not even hiding the ball that he's coming after our children. So as this school year begins, we'd like to take a moment and pray over all of the teachers. If you are around a teacher that is standing or you know one and would like to go pray with them, if you would, we're going to lay our hands on our teachers and uh, present them to the Lord and pray for them this morning. Father God, we lift up these, your servants, that take on the responsibility of raising up the youth, of teaching the children. Uh, Lord, we know that, especially in a lot of the public schools and even some of the private schools, that there is uh, rough spiritual war going on. So we lift these men and women up to you, God. We pray that you give them wisdom, that you give them boldness, that you give them clarity throughout the year, that they're able to clearly communicate the things, the subjects that they teach, but more than that, that they are an ambassador of Christ, that they bear your image, and that they with boldness uh, share through their life and through the things that they teach that you are Lord of all. We thank you for these, and we just pray that you put your hedge of protection around them, guarding their hearts and their mind and encouraging them throughout the year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so a lot going on this morning. Teachers, thank you for your sacrifice. I don't believe I could do that. They'd, uh, there'd be mugshots of me before too long if I was teaching, depending on some of these children today, act the fool. Today, uh, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture, and what I hope to do during our time together today is to bring some clarity to these passages and tie them together to answer the question, what is a Christian? I I want us to have a clear understanding and be able to define simply what a Christian is by the end of today's service. And so before I get started, uh, I would like to take a moment and pray for myself, and if you would, pray for me as well during this time, and we're going to get into it. Father God, I surrender myself to you this morning, Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint me. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Uh, I pray that I speak with clarity, Father God, that we leave here today knowing that we have heard from you, God that all honor and glory goes to you, Father God, and that we leave this place today with no doubt in our mind of what a Christian is and if we are walking faithfully according to your precepts and in the faith. We love you and honor you, God. And again, I know I cannot do this in my strength. So I just pray that you are sufficient as your word promises. And we love you and honor you. Amen. What is a Christian? Now that would seem like a very 
simple question, but it is very hard to grab, to, to answer that question briefly. There's so many different ideas of what a Christian is. We're living in a time of such great deception that people who rebel against God openly and boldly call themselves Christians. And there's entire sects and schools of thoughts. There's been denominational splits over people that have decided, hey, we can live this way and still be okay with God. And the, the people that are reading scripture are saying, how can you interpret scripture that way? We can't live like that and be in right relationship with God. And we've seen it happen in churches. And Pastor John has said, the day the, if, if the day comes that the assemblies decides that they're going to start compromising, we go independent. It is not about a denomination. It is not about any sort of church building or affiliation. It is about being a believer me, I have a personal relationship with God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God. The one that says I am is my God. We have to be clear on what a Christian is. It has become difficult because of the great deception, if not impossible, to answer some very simple place, uh, questions in the marketplace in our culture. The example that I'll use today uh, is not limited to this, but what is a woman? We find that there are people that have an extreme difficult, difficult time answering that question. Now that's a real easy question to answer in my mind. It's an adult human female. That seems to be pretty straightforward according to biology and DNA and the way things are, have, have been and he made them, male and female, he made them both. It was the way God designed it. It is the way it has been for all of time. It, it doesn't seem like that should be a hard question to answer, but it, it is. We have decided that to call it Mother's Day is intolerant. We need to call it Birthing Person's Day. I'm here to let you know in case you dropped out like I did and got a GED, them good enough diplomas. If you never took a decent biology class, everyone that lives today was birthed by a woman, okay? It was the egg of a woman. The, the, that, that, it, <laughs> all right? It's simple. But we have such difficulty answering. We're not breastfeeding, we're chest feeding. We have birthing people, not mothers. This is ridiculous and absurd. It's just as ridiculous and absurd that the church today cannot answer the question, what is a Christian? It is just that ridiculous and just that absurd. We're condemning the common sense answers. What is a, fema what is a, what is a woman? An adult human female, well that's nonsense. You're, you're a bigot, you're awful, you're a fundamentalist, you're a patriarchist, you're, you're all of these terrible things that isolate you and push your opinion off to the side. Many are condoning and doing the same thing to a biblical definition and response to the question, what is a Christian? We need to be clear in this moment. This is an age of deception, unprecedented. I don't think it's really been up to, for debate before what is a woman. 
and the definitions are ridiculous. It's the essence of womanhood. If I put a bicycle up here and said, what is a bicycle? And you say, well, it's the essence of bicycling. Like that, that doesn't say anything. It's not a response. It's nonsense. And the world is eating it up because they are deceived. They have, they have not loved the truth. They have hated the truth. And the word says that God will send strong delusion. We need to guard our hearts against this deception. We need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what a Christian is according to scripture, not according to our favorite pastor, our favorite TV celebrity, our favorite book out of the Christian literature section at the bookstore. Does everybody know that not all of those are actually Christian or biblically based books? Does everybody know that your favorite Christian celebrity is, is, is not necessarily walking a biblical Christ-centered lifestyle. We need to be able to identify those things and we can't if we don't have a reference point. And our reference point is the inspired, infallible, and errant Holy Scripture. So you gotta read it for yourself. I'm gonna tell you, every time I'm up here, read your word so that you will not be deceived. It's extremely important that we as a church be able to simply and confidently share with the world what it means to be a Christian. With all this deception in culture today, true Christians, those that would show the true love, and I'm using air quotes facetiously, are called to not only accept, but they are called to endorse, they are called to celebrate, and they are called to participate in things that are explicitly laid out in scripture as bringing enmity between you and God and putting you and God at opposite ends. You can't, that, that, those things don't go together. It's incoherent, it's not cohesive, it's nonsense, it's babbling. Don't be that way. Don't, don't let that deception creep in and lead you astray. So this morning, by the grace of God, the sermon title is a question that I hope we will have a good answer for by the end of our time today. What is a Christian? If you're taking notes, that is our title today, What is a Christian? As I've said before, we live in a time of great deception, and this should not surprise us believers it shouldn't. We shouldn't be shocked that there's so much deception. When the disciples approached Jesus and asked him what would be the signs of the end of his return, he warned them not to be deceived. My biggest prayers are the salvation of the lost and that I'm guarded and kept from deception. Those are my two biggest prayers. Pastor John reminds us all the time that the first words out of Christ's mouth was do not be deceived. Now if we do have, this will be our primary text for today. We will refer to several others. But if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew in the chapter of 24 and we'll be starting in verse three. That'll be Matthew chapter four, verse three. 24, verse three. Did I say something different? Turn there in your Bibles, and this passage is going to serve uh, as as our framework as we go into other scriptures uh, throughout our quest to answer our question with a proper proper biblical response. The question: What is a Christian? 
So in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3, reading out of ESV, he said, And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. If you like King James better, take heed that no man deceives you. The essence is the see that no man leads you astray. Take heed that no one deceives you. And he goes on in verse five, for many will come in my name and they're gonna say I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. We see this all over today. We see many misbranded motivational speakers stand up in front of congregations of the lost telling them that they are redeemed and they call themselves a pastor or a preacher because they tip their hat to scripture every now again teaching erroneous and heretical doctrines and they are leading many astray. Why? Because we're biblically illiterate and we like what they say. It doesn't offend us. It, it, It makes us the hero of the story. We're not the hero of the story in scripture. It is God. It is Christ at the center. If The easiest way to tell if somebody's teaching error is see who's the hero of the story. If you are perfect, awesome, the greatest thing ever, it, it's wrong. Because if Paul can write two-thirds of the New Testament and say, my righteousness is a filthy rag, I'm the chiefest of sinners and I've been saved so that all of you can see that you are not too far gone, then I submit to you that those people are full of it. We're not as awesome as they like to say. And they're leading many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, believer. Have the peace and confidence of Christ. For he goes on to say, for this must take place. Not it might, might, might it, I might change my mind about it or if it gets really bad and they start to, you know, un- devaluing the dollar, then this will happen. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are just the beginnings of birth pains. Just the beginnings. Verse nine, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They'll put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That doesn't sound like living your best life now. Just throwing that out there for you. Wasn't even in my notes, that one's free. And then many will fall away. They will betray one another. They will hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There's lots of many's in that passage. Many false teachers, many false prophets, many led astray. But the one that endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now if we bracket off in that passage, verses five through 12, we're gonna read about some very terrible events. Starting in verse five. 
Many will come saying they're Christ and lead many astray. Verse six, wars, rumors of wars. Verse seven, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes. Verse eight, that's just the beginning. Moving on to verse nine, they, the world, will deliver you, the believer, up to tribulation. They put you to death. Hate one another. Betray one another. Many will fall away. Many false prophets arise, lead many astray. Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. That sounds like a horrible place to live. And if Jesus would say before he gives that warning, see that no one leads you astray. Take heed that no man deceives you. I would say that that is probably a very important warning for us. It was a very important warning for the disciples. Now these, these men that came to ask Jesus what to expect, they're not foreigners traveling through paying an oracle for a reading of the future. They're his disciples. These are the disciples that have been doing life with Jesus for years. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the parables. They've witnessed the evil spirits be cast out. They've seen the lame healed, witnessed the restoration of sight. They were mentored by, they were taught by, they were corrected by, and they were loved by Jesus Christ. They are who are coming and saying, what will be the sign? And the first thing out of his mouth to these men is do not be deceived. I believe that for us as the body of Christ, as followers, then we should pay attention to that as well. We must guard our hearts. We must guard our hearts against the deception of this world or we will look just as foolish trying to tell someone what a Christian is or share the gospel as the person with a full beard and an Adam's apple that looks like a midget's punching their throat out and long hair on the stage saying that they're a woman. I don't wanna look that ridiculous when I'm called to be an ambassador, a reflection, a representation of Jesus Christ. May we not be deceived. So we're moving to answer this question, what is a Christian? And so far we've established that deception has reached unprecedented highs in our culture. Christ explicitly warns us to be sure that no one leads us astray. So now we're gonna move into actually offering the answer of what is a Christian. And we're gonna start by eliminating some of those popular identifiers and characteristics that some might say, this means you're a Christian, or this is a Christian. We're gonna deal with those first. We're gonna talk about what a Christian is not. Remember, we're searching for a proper biblical answer to our question, not a pop culture answer, not a motivational speaker answer, not a Christian celebrity answer, a proper biblical answer to the question, what is a Christian? And while going back to the bicycle, if I put the bicycle on the stage and was asked to define that and I started saying, well, it's not a car, it's not a four-wheeler, it's not a unicycle, that's not defining what it is, but it gives us some context and some frameworks to identify what it's not. 
And then we could get into the definition and say it has two wheels, a frame, handles for steering, and you have pedals. So it's, you know, a bipedal, two-wheeled mode of transportation. That would be our definition at the end. But we can build context by eliminating things and saying this is certainly not what the bicycle is. That's what we're doing this morning as we start. So number one, a Christian is not dot, dot, dot. And we will have several subpoints. The first one, letter A. A Christian is not someone that goes to church every week. That doesn't make us a Christian. Walking into Burger King does not make me a Whopper. Walking into Dairy Queen doesn't make me a Blizzard. Walking into Mickey D's doesn't make me a Big Mac or a quarter pounder with cheese. Walking into Lowe's doesn't make me Tool World as much as I wish it did. I mean, genuinely wish that walking into Lowe's would just, I'd have Tool World at my house. All the saws, the routers, the bits. I mean, build the shop in my dreams, dust collector. Oh, man. And I could earnestly want that. And I can walk into Lowe's every day. And I could believe that it's happening, but it's not. Someone that goes to church every week is not a Christian. This is the sober warning. Hell is gonna be full of people that attended church every week. Even some people that taught Sunday school, sang in the choir, led worship, they will be in hell because they never surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And though they knew the truth, they did not love the truth. We have to be clear on this. A Christian is not someone that goes to church every week. And I don't want to assault anyone's assurance of salvation. If you're a new believer and the enemy is trying to use condemnation to keep you from following Christ, just know that all of heaven rejoiced when you came into the kingdom of God and that God is a good father and as you grow and walk towards him and mature, there will be stumbles and falls and you will crawl, walk, run and as you begin to transition from crawling to walking, a good earthly parent doesn't come down and kick their kid across the room for taking a few wobbly steps and falling over, they celebrate that growth. Okay, so today is not about making you question your assurance of salvation. God being good and us being evil, how much more would he provide and care for us? Okay, so when, as we're maturing towards him, give yourself time to grow. He expects you to progress towards him, run after him, not be perfect, okay? So, yes, a believer probably will go to church on a regular basis, but... Going to church every Sunday does not make you a Christian. Next, letter B, someone that believes that God exists and doesn't make us a Christian. How many have asked someone if they were a Christian or even given this response when asked if you're a Christian? Well, I believe that there's a God. I try to be a good person, but nobody's perfect. That's a very, very common response in the marketplace. A Muslim could answer that way. They believe there's a God. They try to be a good person because they believe their deeds are on a scale and the good has to outweigh the bad. They know they're not perfect, but they do the best they can. So if that answer 
doesn't give us the, the, a, a good definition because it's not exclusive to Christianity. Many can make that claim that they believe God exists, a higher power exists. Eastern mysticism will get into all sorts of craziness, okay? So saying, I believe God exists, I, I try to be a good person, but I mess up. That, that doesn't make us a Christian. It's more than just believing that God exists. Moving on and see, someone that is a good person. Now for sure, a, trish, a Christian should treat people well. But just treating people well does not make you a Christian. It is not someone that is a good person. If being a good person, if believing that God existed, if coming to church on a regular basis made us a Christian, we would earn it and God would owe us our salvation. Now scripture is very clear. It plainly tells us that we cannot earn our salvation. If you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse eight. Let's see, Ephesians two, starting in eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. We'll take it a little further just to make sure we grasp this, that we can't earn being a Christian. Being a Christian isn't a merit badge. What is a Christian? Oh, I got my UMC or whatever denomination card. That's not, that's, that's not it. That's not the definition. That's not the answer. At the judgment throne of God, he does not say, well done, you whom believe I existed, you who attended church every Sunday, you that tried to be a good person, you that sang in the choir, you that taught Sunday school. What does he say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. We don't earn it. And after we are brought to salvation, I'm going to tie this all together for you at the end. Just hang with me. After we're brought to salvation, we walk out our surrendering to his lordship for the rest of our life. D, it is not someone that calls themselves a Christian. Profession of faith and possession of faith are very different things. Someone that calls themselves a Christian is not a Christian. Do we know that fruit dictates the root? Like if I plant an apple tree, it's just gonna grow apples. It doesn't have to think about it, try harder. It doesn't have to try not to grow peaches. It's just gonna grow apples. If I plant a peach tree, it's gonna grow peaches. And if the peach tree looks at me and says, I'm an apple tree, I give it the same look. I give the guy with the full beard and the Adam's apple that's telling me he's a woman. Like, you're confused. You are deceived. One of the most sobering warnings that God gives us when Jesus was delivering the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, 
on that judgment day, there will be many that say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and attend church every Sunday and teach Sunday school and sing in the choir and be a good person and profess Christianity to the world? And he will say, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Where did they get to that point? That they were so confident that they were walking with God, they saw these supernatural things manifest forth that were not divine, but were supernatural. They were so confident of their salvation, they looked at God Almighty and said, you got it wrong. How deceived do you have to be to do that? Very is the simple answer. Very, very deceived. If there's so, much, so many warnings and so many things that culture seems to associate with being a Christian that are deceiving, but so many warnings for us not to be deceived, I always say that it's very important that we know how to define what a Christian is. We have to know what that means for us as an individual, what that means for us as a the body of Christ and what that means for us, for our blessed hope that we hold on to, the return of Jesus Christ. So far, we have determined that I cannot earn it and none of these characteristics we just covered qualify me as a Christian. Not the church attendance, good person, believe in God exists or profess in the faith. So how do I know that I'm a Christian? What is a Christian? Let's examine some more scripture and see if we can discover a biblical answer, a true way to answer our question today. Point number two, a leading Pharisee asked Jesus how to be saved. Number two, Nicodemus asked Jesus how to be saved. In John chapter three, starting in verse one, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This was a man of stature, a man in the Sanhedrin, a man of authority, a teacher. He knew the law, had memorized the law. This man, he comes to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus bypasses all the fluttering and goes straight to the point. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said we have to be born again. As the conversation goes on, he expounds, born of the spirit. The woman at the well in John 4, when she said, hey, we worship on the temple. Y'all say you have to worship in Jerusalem. What's the right answer? What's the appropriate way to worship? And he said, I'm telling you, you're gonna, there's times coming is now that you will worship in spirit and in truth. So if, if we're, we've gotten to this point where we need to be born of the water, born of spirit, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Pastors taught us we're a three-part being, body, soul, spirit, right? Body interacting with the world, hard, soft, cold, hot, wet, dry. Soul actor interacting with other people, 
you know, I like you, we get along, this person, you know, I'll send you a Christmas card, but we don't have to hang out. Like, you know, your soul interacts with other people and your spirit is what connects you to God. It must, keep this in mind, we're gonna come back to this idea, but our spirit is dead in our trespasses and sin. And that is number three. Before we are a Christian, we are dead. 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 The Greek for that means dead. Like dead, dead. Not helping yourself, not doing, you know. Anybody go to the gym on a regular basis? Y'all see any dead people there this week? Uh, yeah, they're probably not. They might, they might have died while they were there. If I was there, I'd been dying. But they're not there doing anything for themselves. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, starting in verse one, and you were dead in trespass and sin in which you once walked. You, me, Pastor John, Anyone, all of us that have come to faith were dead in trespasses and sin in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, pay attention right here, we all once lived. Christianity is not your hall pass to do whatever you want. Christianity is not a, a, a position of authority that you lord over someone else the the pharisee that says i'm I'm glad that i'm not like this wicked man while the publican is at the altar meaning he owns a bar okay so the dude that was up at 2 a.m slinging shots and jaeger bombs is at the bar slamming his chest saying i am a sinful man forgive me and he went home justified and the one that said i'm sure i'm glad i'm not that jacked up he went home to himself having exalted himself at the altar of God. Deception. The enemy is the father of lies for a reason. It's effective. We all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is our condition before Christ. We are dead, we are guilty, and we are hopeless. What is dead? Well, my body's not dead. I'm, I can still stand right here. I feel these things. I think y'all see me, unless the matrix is crazy, right? Like, I'm pretty sure I've been here 39 years, you know. My soul's alive. I know the people that I like to hang out with, the people that I job with, the people like Precious Faith that I like to talk theology with, the people that I like to tell jokes with, the people that I like to, you know, go play putt-putt with or something, I know the people that I'm just going to send you your Christmas card and high five from here. We don't have to spend time together. I know those things, so my soul's alive. So what's dead? When I'm dead in my trespass and sin. My spirit. My spirit is dead. We all once lived with a dead spirit. So knowing that we must be born of the spirit, that we must worship in spirit and in truth, we need to know how does this happen? Because I can't earn a living spirit. I can't buy a living spirit. I can't force my own spirit to come to life. So how does it happen? Let's look back at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We're going back to John 3 here. Number four, God made a way. Number four is God made a way. 
God loved us and he made a way for us to be restored to him. This is how our spirit comes alive. We read in John 3, starting in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever, inclusive term, whoever, believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Anybody here not from the world? Right on. So this applies to you. That he gave his only son, that whoever, so all, we all once lived in sin, dead in our trespasses, but because God has made a way, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is his judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The world hates Christ because its works are evil. So a Christian being the ambassador, reflection, and representation of Christ should not expect to be loved by the world, meaning all those that oppose Christ. I heard uh, the preacher say one time, the problem with preaching in the West is nobody wants to kill preachers anymore. They're not making an impact. They're not sharing truth. The enemy's not rising up against a lot of them because they're just celebrating their congregation as they travel down their road to destruction with no covering. We must be sober-minded, believer. So we see that believing in God here in this passage is different than believing that God exists. Let's keep going in scripture. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So we have to know the difference between believing that God exists and believing in him. A lot of religions believe a God exists. People that, the deists believe the great watchmaker just made the world and tossed it off into the galaxy, doesn't interact with it, he did it, it's done, we're here, we're doing things. A lot of people believe that God exists, but the Christian believes in him with all of his heart mind, soul, and strength to the best of his ability, walking out his life as one submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ with intentional purpose to return to him, to repent, and to follow him, knowing that we are on our way to Zion, holding and clinging to the blessed hope of Jesus Christ's return as he holds us and keeps us from this world. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
This believing is not a mental assent, a mental agreement with the fact that God is real. This belief elicits and demands a response. Number five, our response is to surrender. Our response, surrender. Number five. Twice it is recorded in the Gospels that when people wanted to follow Christ, he gave this response. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16 and 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Luke 9 and 23, he says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Remember, we can't earn it, but there's a response. If our musicians will come, please. There's a response. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that any person in all of history has ever come into a redeeming, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is not of our own works, and none of us can boast that Jesus tells all that would follow him to deny your flesh, pick up your cross, and follow him. I'm tired of hearing this, I don't know why God would send somebody to hell for just loving people. I don't know, he wrote the book. He said, this you shall not do. And you don't get to say, well, I don't agree with that, God. I'm gonna do it anyway, and we're good. Try that at work. See how long you got a job. Own your own business. Try that with everybody that calls you up. See how long you got work to do. But we expect to be able to do that to God Almighty, the Alpha and Omega, Adonai, El Shaddai, the one that stepped out on nothing and created everything. We can compromise his law? I think not. We are made a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our pursuit of God started with God. He called us. The Father calls us. We hear the gospel because somebody's preaching. I'm about to break it down for you in in a nutshell. We hear the gospel with a dead spirit and somebody's preaching the truth and the word of God and our soul cries out for a savior realizing our condition where we are hopeless and cannot save ourselves. And because Christ did the atoning work and said it is finished on the cross, we have access and the Holy Spirit quickens us to life in the Spirit and we are made a new creation in Christ Jesus starting in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, brethren, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God for our sake, our sake. That's another, our, all, world, whoever, all wants. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That should make you tremble. 
that when God looks upon his children, he sees the righteousness of Christ. We are reconciled to him and made a new creation. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who was dead, hopeless to save themselves, spiritually dead in their sin. And upon hearing the gospel, being called by the Father, given access by the Son, and quickened by the Spirit, was made a new creation through Christ Jesus, came up and ran out of the grave, came under discipleship and mentorship of those around them that were already believers to bring them into the full counsel of the word of God and surrendered their life, walking the rest of it out through repentance and belief and getting up and doing it again, saying, I am a Christian. I am a son of God. He has called me friend, but I'm his slave too. I am a bond servant of Christ and I'm not going anywhere. All my faith is on Jesus Christ, the lamb that paid the price for me and the returning king that will glorify us all in his name, where we will be taken up to be with him for all of eternity, a new creation that is cast off the grave clothes, walking in full surrender of God. That is a Christian. Am I a Christian? Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I am a Christian. I was dead. Dead in my trespass and sin. I was quickened. I heard the gospel. My soul cried out. I can't save myself, God. I'm lost. What do I do? He said, come. My son paid the price for you. The spirit quickened me and I came alive and I've messed up and I sin and I have to repent and I have to get up and do it again and work out my own salvation with fear and trembling just like every believer in this room. But there's no levels of saved. The day you surrender to Jesus Christ and are made a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are just as saved as Billy Graham as he was preaching all across the whole world. There's different levels of maturity. And be patient with yourself and don't let the enemy distract you from what God's doing in your life. Walk it out. So we've talked about this morning what a Christian is not. We've answered the question, what is a Christian? Now I'm gonna ask you the question, are you a Christian? Through what we've talked about and what we've gleaned from scripture this morning, are you a Christian? If you have any doubt in that answer, if you would answer no to that, if you would say, I once remembered how close I walked with God and the peace and comfort that I had with him and it's absent from my life now. As they play this song, I ask that you would just come forward and lay that at the feet of the cross. I want to tell you something about this song. Not only does it speak to every one of us as believers, but to those that are far away. The man that wrote this song was about as wretched as you could get in his time. He was a drunkard, he was a slave trader, he was an awful man. And he came to salvation through Christ and wrote this song 
about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. If they play it, as they play it, if you would, just come down and lay it at the foot of the cross. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. church family 
if we've heard from the Lord this morning, then I've done my assignment. But all the glory and all the honor go to him. For we can't earn it. And I hope that each of us leave today with a more clear understanding and a confidence in being able to share the gospel and articulate, explaining what a real, true, Bible-believing, biblically sound definition of a Christian is. I'm going to have Brother Charles come and pray and dismiss us. Love you. What a challenge. If you'll stand, we're going to dismiss the service. That's one of those messages that make you want to live better, do better. Make sure that we follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, more closely. My challenge this week, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. We have a world out there that's dying and on its way to hell. It's time for us to be that light, not hide it, but make sure that it is seen by every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. Amen. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your spirit drawing us. We're thankful for your spirit being our guide in this perverse, twisted, and crazy world. But Father, we're also reminded as Jason, Pastor Jason preached today that you sent your son to die for this world. And that everyone who placed their belief and trust in you shall be saved and will spend eternity with you. God, we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that God, today, that no matter what we face, no matter what struggle we face, that you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, according to Psalm 46. Father, we're thankful for the infilling of your spirit, the baptism in your Holy Spirit. We're thankful that we have been empowered, that you have given us, God, what we need through your son, Jesus, and the coming of your Holy Spirit that has taken residence in every believer and has sealed us unto the day of redemption. We're thankful for the salvation and the hope that we have. Father, as we leave this place, but not from your presence. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you will go before us, that you will follow close with us and lead and guide us and keep us safe from all harm and danger and make your face to shine up on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Have a great week.